Today we'll be reading from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. Not many should become teachers, my brothers, because you know that we will receive stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships. Though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind. But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. Um, we have been in a series in the book of James, um, and in this series we have jumped in in chapter 1. Uh, chapter 1, uh, James pulls no punches. He gets right to the point, and he says, if you are a mature Christian, then when you go through trials, um, he encourages us to go through those trials with pure joy. Well, how can we go through those trials with pure joy? Well, it's because we know God is with us, that he's for us, that he's building our faith. And so as we go through those trials, we know that it isn't just senseless trials, that he's actually moving us to a place of greater dependence and greater maturity on him. In chapter 2, we're going to finish the latter part of that next week, but James really challenges us and he says that if we truly are growing in our walk with the Lord, there needs to be a, a comparison, not a comparison, but our faith and our works need to be playing out the same. That we cannot just have a faith that says, I believe these things in a life that lives differently. Our faith and our works need to be working hand in hand, and we see the glory of God and the good of others in our life. And so James extends that commission, extends that teaching and that uh, expectation, and he moves into chapter 3, and he says, oh, by the way, if I'm going to get specific in your life, I'm going to get specific in the area that you use your tongue. So I don't know about you, but that's an area of great conviction for me. It's an area where it's one thing to say faith and works, but it's another thing to get into the nitty-gritty of the things that actually come out of our mouth. So James pulls no punches. He gets right into our lives and he says, how are the words that are coming out of your mouth being displayed in your life and in the loved ones around you? So our big idea this morning is this, an untamed tongue tears down, but a tamed tongue builds up. We're going to walk through James 3, 1 through 12, and we're going to follow this outline. So if you're a note taker, uh, the first couple verses we're going to look at 
um, is going to cover the testing of the tongue. Uh, Verses 3 through 8, we're going to look at the trajectory of the tongue. Where is the direction of our words going? In verses 9 through 12, we're going to look at, is it possible to tame the tongue? Is it possible to get to the place where the things that we don't want to say, we aren't doing, and the things that we want to say, we actually practice and start doing? So in much of our lives, we're going to jump right into verse 1 and 2. In much of our lives, I think most of us would identify there's some form of testing. Um, If you have had a child that was born, what is the first couple things that they do? They take that baby and they measure the length and the width and the height, and they measure if it's crying and the skin, and they take tests of blood to figure out if it's healthy. Um, A few hours later, they actually test the hearing of the child. Uh, Most of us, we go in annually ourselves and we bring our family in and they measure, are we growing in the ways that we should be? Um, Are are we getting too much weight on ourselves? Are we having too much glucose? Um, They measure all kinds of things about our body. Um, Our children, where do they fit on the growth chart? Are they above average in that growth or below average or what do we need to do to intervene? We measure standardized tests in the school. We measure uh, scoring touchdowns on the football field. We measure runs on the baseball field. And we measure how well we execute on the ice rink. We are surrounded by testing and measurement. And James says, hey, this is the same in the church. Some of us are children in our faith. Some of us are maybe adolescents in our faith, and some of us are on the more mature side. James says that not many of us should be teachers because when we teach, there is a stricter judgment. To teach in Jesus' church has two realities. One is that we are of a mature faith, and the other is that we're growing, that our faith and our works are actually being demonstrated in the same way. If you notice in verse 2, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a mature, he's mature, able also to control the whole body. Uh, What James is getting at there is that we are all in the same boat. We all stumble in many ways, but the difference of a person who is growing and maturing in their faith is that they are growing and maturing in the ways of becoming more like Christ. The perfection is Christ. The surrendering to him is the path of maturity. So the test of our maturity is how we use our tongue, James says. So I want to ask you a couple questions. Sometimes we desire to be leaders and teachers. So I want to ask you this. Do you boast in the skill of your work or do you boast in God? Do you lie or do you tell the truth? Is your speech foolish and filthy, or is it good, pure, and right? Is, there, is your correction harsh, or is it kind? Do you say one thing and mean another? Are you quick to shut others down, or are you welcoming and hospitable? The test of a mature Christian is how you use your, one, your words, and what James says is if you want to be a teacher, this is the measure. This is the test. How are you using your words? I think the more natural application for many of us is, well, 
I, I, I don't think I'll ever be a pastor or an elder or a deacon. I don't really have those aspirations. Um, but for many of us who do aspire to that or who do want to do that, many times we think of our current day. And so I want to move back into first century Israel and what was going on at the time. And so what was happening is there was teachers, there was people inside the church that were wanting this place of position. They were wanting this place of influence. And so they saw these teachers walking around in the marketplace. And so they said, hey, I want that path forward. And so the path, the progression of becoming a teacher in first century Israel was this, that you would start out as a learner, that you would start out as an apprentice, and then you would move to the position where you were actually writing down, you were a scribe, you were writing down what the teacher was teaching, and then you would move to the position of a reader, where you would actually articulate the words of the teacher from the scroll, and then you would become a teacher. And here's what James says, that not many of us should be teachers. Not many of us should get to that position. And the reason that he says that is because when those teachers, the teachers of our day, when we preach and teach God's word, we're actually proclaiming the word of God, and we're actually pro proclaiming the truth of what God has for his people, not only for his people, but for those living in darkness. And so James uses this word of there's a testing, there's a judgment that comes for those who teach. And it's not a judgment of that person is guilty or not guilty. Uh, this is a judgment of a test. So the words that are coming out of the mouth of the teacher, the test is this. Are the words that they're preaching and proclaiming actually matching the way that they live their life? The test isn't this person is guilty or not guilty because we have in our world, I think many of you have seen this, where people have actually proclaimed and taught something that is not true. We've had actually people predict things that are going to come true and then they never come true. Those would be false teachers. And so James says this, this is not a light test. This is the test not just that the words that are being said, but the meaning and the weight and the life of the teacher is actually intertwined in this. So how are you living, James says. For many of us, we're not going to become teachers here at First City. But for those of you that actually want to invest in other people, you might be a teacher in First City Kids. You might be a teacher in First City Youth or First City Students. And believe it or not, in many ways... The life that you live in your public and private ministry are actually shaping and forming those around you. If you are parents, you see that firsthand. You see your child actually becoming more like you in the ways that you want and in the ways that maybe you don't want. And so maybe some of you are like, hey, I'm never going to actually aspire to be a pastor or an elder. But in many ways, the way that we live our life the way that we speak, the way that we live in, amidst our homes, the way that we talk at our dinner table, the way that we live our lives are actually being caught by other people. The truth is, is that what you love, others will love. What you speak about, others will speak about. What you cherish, others will cherish. So these words aren't just words verbally. These are actually words of our life. What is our life exhibiting and in what ways is our life training and shaping others to love either what is good and pure and right or what is of this world. 
For those of you seeking the position of teacher, there is some cause for pause. Why do you want this role? What are your ambitions? What do you hope comes out of this? Do you hope to be in a place where other people follow you for your name's sake, or are you bringing glory and honor to the Lord? On the flip side, I want to encourage you in the room. Maybe you're sitting in your place and you're like, hey, I understand that there's a great weight to this, Kyle. I understand that. You don't need to keep belaboring that. But on the flip side, I want to invite some of you that have been waiting in the wings. When you teach, when you build into other people, you get to see the beauty of God and His Spirit working firsthand. I want to invite you to consider to pursue the Lord in that. Encourage, encourage you in the ways that you, the way that your life is actually teaching in your home or teaching in the workplace. I want to encourage you to spur you on. I want to encourage you and, and invite you. When you get to see people's lives transformed by the gospel, it is a thing of beauty. When you get to open your mouth and share the truth of God's word and, they, and people yield to that, not only other people but you, you get to see the work of the Spirit firsthand. You get to see light bulbs turn on. You get to see lives transformed. So don't be discouraged by this test. Don't be in fear because of this test. Consider the weight. And I want to invite you into this call to be teachers not only in your words, but in your life. For a mature Christian uses their words to build up and not tear down. Verse 3 moves us into our second uh, topic, our second um, idea that we're going to talk through this morning is the trajectory of the tongue. During World War II, there was a phrase, um, if you guys are history buffs, I'm not, um, but I had to do so, a little bit of research. Um, and so what was happening in World War II is there was two things that were happening. The first thing that was happening in World War II is that there was morale around the troops of being discouraged about not coming home. Um, information was hard to come by, and we were trying to figure out, are we winning the war or are we not winning the war? Are the Allies winning or the Axis forces winning? Is Germany winning or is America and its allies winning? The battle was raging, and so what was happening is a lot of the troops were trying to figure out what is going on. Are we winning or are we losing? And so uh, the military came up with this phrase, loose lips sink ships. Anybody remember that? Loose lips sink ships. It was a twofold purpose. One, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> don't tell anybody anything. Uh, because if we're going to invade in a particular area, we don't want them to know. If our ships are going to be in a certain place or our submarines are going to be in a certain place, we don't want them to know. Don't tell our secrets. It was a war of information. On the flip side, there was an encouragement to all of us at home to be an encouragement to those fighting the war. We can't have a divided country at home and not support our troops. If there's doubt away from home and doubt at home, what does the morale look like on the battlefield? And so in the same way, we needed to not speak. We needed to be selective in the information and what was being said. Another way to say this is closed lips prevent slips. James calls our attention to the same thing in verse 3. Our words have the power of life and death. If the wrong information was released, people's lives were in danger. 
Our words have the, have the power to actually shape hearts, have the, have the power to actually shape minds, and if we're not careful, it can damage the people around us for the rest of their lives. In verses 3 through 7, James gives four word pictures. Uh, so I, I'm going to encourage you to write these down. The four word pictures are this. The horse and the bit, the ship and the rudder, the fire and the forest, and the wild animals. And so you're probably reading that like I was, thinking, that is a lot of word pictures. Well, if you're a little bit on the dense side like me, it kind of helps to have some word pictures, right? Um, So the horse and the bit and the ship and rudder mean this. James is teaching us that they have the power to direct the trajectory of our lives. The bit and the horse of the mouth actually can steer the horse because it's close to its tongue and it's close to other sensitive parts of the mouth. And so the rider can actually move the horse in the direction that is necessary. The rudder, in the same way, is super small. If you've ever been sailing or if you've ever driven a boat, you know that the prop or the rudder is actually pretty small in comparison to the rest of the ship. Uh, But the captain, when he gets in front of that wheel and he moves to the left or to the right, even though that rudder is a hundred or a thousand times smaller than that ship, it actually moves the ship in the direction that the captain desires. Friends, our power, our tongue has the power to steer the direction of our lives. It can be moved in the direction of goodness or it can be moved in the direction of evil. Um, so a few years back, uh, my wife and I are going to be, well, our, my wife and I are going to be celebrating 15 years in November, so we're excited about that. Um, but early on in our relationship, we met at a camp, um, and there was a small little ship um, that was super small sailboat, and so I was like, ah, oh, it can't be that, too, that hard to sail. And so we jump in this ship, um, I shouldn't call it a ship, this little tiny boat um, that was actually rocked back and forth on small waves, and so... It was pretty insecure, I'll be honest. And so I was like trying to be confident. And so we jump in this boat and I'm like, ah, it's no big deal. And pretty soon I am way over my head. I don't know what's going on. Um, the boom of the, the sailboat is going back and forth and the wind is hitting it. And I don't know what's going on because it keeps whapping me. And then I'm trying to figure out how to actually keep, if any of you have ever sailed, you would have probably laughed at me, right? Um, Long story short, the rudder falls off and we're in trouble, right? So I'm like, hey, I I know what's going on. Um, And so we go on our honeymoon and we go to the beach and there's this catamaran there. And I'm like, hey, I learned all the things not to do. Um, So can't be that hard, right? Pride still a little bit in the heart. Um, And so we jump on this catamaran. She's like, are you sure? I'm like, yeah, no big deal, right? So we get on this catamaran, and uh, lo and behold, we are in trouble again, right? Except for this time, the boom is like 10 times the size, and when you get whapped by that, it actually hurts, right? Um, and so we're trying to use the pulleys, and we're actually moving in the direction of the, the boundary of the ropes, and there's this huge coral reef ahead. And I'm like, oh, no. It's a lot harder than it looks, people, right? If you've ever done that. And so this guy on the shore is yelling things that I don't even know what he's saying. Um, and so he jumps on his jet ski and he drives up towards us and he's like, what are you doing? I'm like, I thought I knew what was going on. In the same way, we get in the same positions with our tongues. Would you agree? 
We say, I got this. I know what I shouldn't do. And so we jump on this metaphorical catamaran and we half-heartedly say the things that we shouldn't say. And pretty soon we get in a position where we're way out of control. Our ship, our catamaran is moving towards the coral reef and we are way outside of the place where we need to be. We don't realize that the power that we have can either build up or tear down and pretty soon we can get into a position where our boat is moving in a direction where we never wanted to be. So in our home, uh, we have this wrestle all the time. Uh, We have six children, and so depending on if it's in the living room or the dinner table or bedtime, bedtime seems to be one of the most beautiful places um, of opportunity for growth and development uh, when it comes to words. And I'm not talking about my kids here. I'm talking about myself, uh, right? Um, And so we get into these interesting places. Um, And so I knew that I was going to be preaching on James 3. Um, My wife and I were talking about, like, what tools do we have? And yeah. Uh, we were talking through, like, well, we have the scriptures, um, but what if, what if we had some things that we said were not acceptable, and what if we had some things that were acceptable? Would that help create a different culture in our home? And so my wife came across this really, really cool tool. Um, it's on our fridge now, and it lists some things that we don't want to see happen from a word standpoint, a culture standpoint, and on the other side, it lists a bunch of words and phrases that are super helpful in building what we want culturally in our home. And so I like this tool because it echoes what Paul teaches in actually Ephesians 4, where he says to put off these types of things and to put on these types of things. And so he says to put off lying and foul language and sin that leads to destruction. And on the right side, Paul gives us this list that we are to be honest. We are to speak the truth in love and we are to build others up. And sometimes you just need those lists to kind of move your ship, if you will, in the direction of health. So the left side of this list that hangs on our fridge includes things like no sarcasm, no name-calling, no teasing, no ignoring. I don't know if you have that in your home, but there is some ignoring that happens, right? No eye-rolling, no back-talking, no negative comparison, no interrupting, and so many more. On the right side, it says, says things like this, mean what, you, mean what you say and say what you mean. If you're going to speak, be kind or don't say anything at all. If you're not ready to talk, then let somebody else know that you need to take some time to pray, and then you will come back when you're ready. Listen and then speak. Be kind. Encourage one another. The reason that we have this goal isn't a list of things that we shouldn't do and the things that we shouldn't do. The goal of this list is actually to create a culture where we're building one another up instead of tearing one another down. We want to move in a trajectory where we actually see gospel growth in our marriage, in our lives, in our home, in our children's lives, and in the people that visit our home as well. In other words, we have the power to set the trajectory of our life, our relationships, and we also create these cultures in our homes. 
And if we're not careful, we will be like that person. If you've ever seen those TV shows where somebody gets on a horse and everybody laughs because it's actually pretty comical, right? Uh, But when it comes down to it, James actually articulates this, that when our words are out of control, we're like riding, riding a horse with no restrainment. The horse is just running wild. We're actually on a boat that has no rudder. And I can tell you firsthand, that is a scary thing, right? When that boom comes flying across with no rudder, you don't want to be on that ship. And so as I was preparing for the sermon, I think it's super helpful that God continues to meet me, and I hope he meets you there this morning as well. Uh, He's meeting me in those moments where I've been reflecting on the words that are actually coming out of my mouth. The things that I say to other people, the things that I say to my wife and to my kids and my neighbors when I'm irritated, when I'm lacking sleep, when I don't really want to restrain myself, and so things come out that I regret, that I wish would have never happened. And so I think um, as, as the Lord was doing some work in my heart, I was um, actually on a walk, and I went and... Um, Engaged my family, just said, hey, here's some things in my life that I don't think are good. Will you guys forgive me? And some of the, some of the things that I needed to grow in and continue to need to grow in are words like, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I have sinned. I was wrong. You were right. And I think some of that pride of my heart when I was in college, so I was actually leading a student ministry in college, and um, this lovely couple invited me over, and they said, hey, Kyle, we'd love to have you over for supper um, and just get to know you a little bit more. And he's like, hey, do you have a girlfriend? And I'm like, no. Um, and I was like, do you have any, you have any advice? Like, how, how, does it, how do you guys make it work? And he was like, well, I'll give you some advice, um, and here's the advice. Uh, you can either be happy or you can be right. And I thought to myself, I said, Arvin, I think I'm going to be the first guy that's right and happy. And he just shakes his head and he's like, you'll find out. (laughs) I'll be honest, it's way better to be happy. (laughs) You see, there's this arrogant part of my heart that needs to die in order for words like, I'm sorry, you were right, will you forgive me to come out? We must be a people who call out sin. We must be a people who actually embrace the work of the Spirit in our life, and we must be a people who actually move in a direction of building others up and not tearing others down. So I have a friend here at First City Church, um, and so my daughter, Ella, was going through a tough time. So Ben, I should have asked your permission, but I I, want to share what he said. Um, So forgive me, Ben, if I misconstrue this. But my daughter was wrestling through Uh, some trials in her life. And he said, Ella, I have some advice for you. Uh, You can either be a thermometer that actually becomes like the rest of the room, or you can be a thermostat that actually sets the temperature of the room. So I want to thank you, Ben, for sharing that. And it's so true in our lives because we can either be a people who have strong convictions, and then when we get in those moments where the words that are being said aren't really what we agree with, but we kind of become chameleons in them and be like that type of environment. Or we can be like a thermostat and actually set the different trajectory of where God would have us. The next two words that James says are in verse, or the next two descriptions or word pictures that James says are in verse 5. 
So too that the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts of great things. Consider how a small forest is set ablaze and the tongue is a fire. He also talks about the wild animals. And so if, as Ben was reading that, thank you Ben for reading that, but as Ben was reading that, that should uh, call us back to Genesis 1 and 2. So how were the animals tamed? How were the birds of the air and the animals on the ground and the fish of the sea, how were they tamed? Well, God had given authority to Adam and Eve. They were called to bring the animals under submission. And the truth is, is James actually uses that picture in contrast. He says, hey, Adam and Eve, humankind, you are able to tame the animals, but the, tame, or the tongue is untamable. James says that our tongue is like a small fire that burns out of control. This fire doesn't just burn some of the forest, it actually burns the whole forest down. He actually goes on to say that this tongue is like a poisonous snake. That our words don't just sting at the moment that we say them, but actually like a poisonous snake, they go into our skin and they actually impact us and shape us for days and months, weeks and years to come. And so he's not saying this for shock value. He wants us to see the weight of our words and how they impact those around us. Verse 9, here's what James says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people. And so if you're not convinced yet, maybe you already are convinced, that your tongue is evil, my tongue is evil, the question is, is why does James go to great lengths to do this? Why does he give us all these word pictures to help us see that we need something different? And the truth is, is because some of us are hard-hearted. Some of us think that we still can do it on our own. Some of us still believe that we're not, we're not worse off than we really are. And so James wants to invite us into this. And so what he does is he says, hey, do you really see your need for a new source for your tongue? Do you really see your need for something greater to come out of your mouth? Maybe you're sitting in this room or listening on live stream and you're one of those people that have used your words as weapons. Maybe you're in this place and you're like, man, this is just too heavy for me. I'm just in a place where I know that the words that I've said are not good and I feel this weight over me and I don't know what to do with it. I want to encourage you that your first step isn't to move in a direction of, okay, now I know that I shouldn't do that and I, maybe I should start doing the same things that Kyle talked about on the right side of that list of being kind and saying the good things. Maybe that'll solve my problem. And I want to encourage you that's not going to solve your problem because your problem is far deeper than your tongue. Here's what Jesus says to Peter. Jesus is wrestling uh, with his mission with his disciples and what happens is he's telling his disciples hey there's going to come a day where I'm going to go to the cross there's going to come a day where they're going to crucify me and there's going to come a day where they put me in a tomb but don't be discouraged know that this is the plan that the father and I have know this is the plan to that we have to seek and save that which is lost and Peter says no 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 I got my sword here I'm going to go to battle for you this kingdom that you're coming to build, I'm going to fight for it. And here's what Jesus says. Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. 
and you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but human things. You see, Peter thinks he knows the path forward, and he tries on his own effort to propose a solution to Jesus, who is both God and man, and and Jesus says, hey, what you desire is what Satan desires. He doesn't want me to go to the cross. He doesn't want me to give my life as a ransom for many. And so I want to call you out, Peter, because the things of God are far greater than what you desire. So here's what James says in verse 11 and 12. What if we're in that place where our testing of our words, we feel broken over that? We see the trajectory of our words and we don't like it. We don't want to move in that direction anymore. Here's what James offers as hope. Here's what James offers as good news. And here's what he says in verse 11. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water for the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives? My brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. So as we talked about earlier, James was Jesus' brother. James spent a ton of time with Jesus, and I can't help but believe that James is calling on the words that Jesus spoke when he said, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I can only imagine the moments that James was with Jesus at the well with the woman who had come out for water at midday, and she says, hey, I'm looking for water, and Jesus says, hey, you drink that water, and it's going to only sustain you for a little while, but the water that I provide you will be a well in you springing up to eternal life. And so James's call isn't to improve our words, although that helps. James's call isn't to get better or pull yourself up by your bootstraps. James's call is you, me, we need a new spring. We need a new spring in our heart. We need a new spring that wells up to eternal life. We need to be transformed from the inside out. And James says, I want to invite you into that conversation. I want to invite you to turn from that life of tearing others down. I want to invite you into a life of building others up. I want to invite you into new life that only comes through Jesus Christ as he becomes your Lord and Savior. So if you're in that place this morning and you have never said, Lord, my words are not good. I need a new life. I need a new spring because the words that are coming out of my mouth are not good. Jesus invites you to receive a new spring this morning. That he might cleanse you from the inside out. That he might provide you a new life. And friends, if you are Christians in the room, the call is the same for you. The call is to believe the gospel. The call is to turn from those words. And I think sometimes we wrestle through this is because are, are these truths true, that we are in Christ? Is it true that if we are in Christ, there is no condemnation? Is it true that we have the Spirit to overcome sin? Absolutely. But too often we get into patterns of where we actually don't actually repent. We confess and say, man, I know that I need to do this, but we don't actually turn from that life of sin, and we turn to God. And so we get in these ruts and patterns of our life where we know that we need a Savior, we know that Jesus has saved us, but we get into this rut of not actually turning from that sin and turning to the Lord. 
And so we get into this place of passivity and our heart gets hardened and we get bitter and we get frustrated. And so Jesus calls us out of that as well. Would you come to me for I'm the living well? Would you come to me and receive living water? Would you be renewed this morning in fresh water? So you might be thinking, okay, so it's great. Um, we want to we wanna really follow Jesus in this. And so what does it look like to build others up? And so I want to give you uh, supplemental to what James is saying. We don't want to be a people who tear down. We want to be a people who build up. And so I want to give you five verses that will help you in your journey of what it looks like to build others up in the church. Uh, so the first one comes from 1 Thessalonians 5, 11. We encourage others in their faith. And so this morning that might be, hey, thank you for serving at the welcome table. Thank you for serving in First City Kids. Hey, thank you for being one of those people that provided a meal for me when I really needed it. The second one is Romans 14, 19. We pursue peace and make peace. In a world of war and division, my hope is that we would be a people who not only desire peace, but actually pursue peace in community. Uh, the third verse is from Jude chapter 1, verse 20, that we're maturing in our faith together and praying for one another. One of the initiatives, one of the goals that we have as a church here at First City is that we grow in prayer. And it's not just to grow in prayer by ourselves, we're growing in prayer and community. And so would we build each other up as we spur one another on to grow in prayer and love for one another? Uh, the fourth verse that I want to share with you is Ephesians 4.15, that we speak the truth in love. So many of us have been around people that speak the truth, right? And we've been around people who speak the truth in love. And so I want to encourage you with that. Number five, in closing, Ephesians 4.29 that we use our words to edify. The opposite of edification and building up in Christ is to use words that are empty or words of flattery. And so I want to encourage you to encourage us to be a people that we would use words of edification, of building up, of encouragement, of opening the scriptures and saying, hey, this is what God is teaching me. I want to encourage you in these things. What is God teaching me, teaching you? Would we be edified in that process? And so I think James's plea is this. Would we receive this new well? Would we be renewed from the inside out? So I want to encourage you to take some time. Um, obviously, this is a heavy topic. Um, we all are all across the board when it comes to our words. So I want, to take, I want to encourage you to take some time before the Lord just to invite him into that conversation. Lord, I need your help. Lord, there are, these are the words that I'm failing to say. Would you help me? So let's take some time individually to pray and invite him into that conversation of the words that you are saying. Let's pray.